BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, dear listeners. This is Kate Riga. I'm here to make a quick pitch that you consider becoming a TPM Prime member. TPM has used the subscriber model for over a decade now, and our loyal members are the only reason we've been able to weather the turbulence of the media landscape and avoid the fate that has befallen so many other independent outlets. For $60 a year, you get no paywall, fewer ads, access to the Hive member forum, a members-only newsletter, and more. For $120 a year, you get all of that, plus no ads at all. Without our members, there is no podcast, not to mention that I am out of a job. Thank you so much for listening and supporting us. We couldn't do it without you. things we're going to talk about today, but it does sort of feel like we're in a in a bit of a weird, I was going to say summer doldrums, but it's not summer. We, we just had Labor Day and we're kind of, we're, we're off off to the races uh, with September. But you know, the, the, the topics we're going to talk about today, we're going to talk about this situation in Wisconsin, which has become kind of, in a weird way, ground zero for another part of the crisis of democracy in this country. We'll get to that in a moment. We're also going to talk about uh, the GOP uh, House Republican impeachment inquiry, which is an impeachment inquiry without actually a vote for an impeachment inquiry because it seemed, well, whether or not they would have had the votes, Kevin McCarthy did not want to put his, uh, I'm not sure they're moderates, but the, but the, the, the House Republicans who are in Biden districts, districts that, that Joe Biden won in 2020, didn't want to make them uh, uh, walk that plank. And then we're going to talk about the, the endless issue, Joe Biden's age, which I actually just did a, a post about this morning. It was mainly actually a link back to a post I did in July, the last time. I wouldn't even say the last time we were talking about this because we, <laughs> this, has been, this has been an endless conversation. And in some ways, that's kind of what I mean by this sense of being in kind of a summer doldrums. Because the thing about Joe Biden's age is, look, it is a real issue. You can see it showing up in polls. When I talk to people who are not political people, and I mean, you know, not people who kind of live uh, uh, politics every day, they bring it up. They bring it up. They say, you know, do you think he's do you think he's too old? I'm a, I'm a little concerned about about his his age. Now, I think when Democrats do this, it's very hard to pick apart 
are they saying they're a little concerned about his age because they're not sure he can do the job? Or are they saying they're a little concerned about his age because they're hearing about it constantly and they worry he's not going to get reelected because he seems like an old guy? Um, and, and those two things can, can blend together. But the key is this has been decided. This is done. This has been decided. We can have a conversation about whether or not it would be it would be better if Joe Biden were 10 or 15 years younger, hell, 20 years younger, right? Um, but A, he's not. And B, he's going to be the nominee. So what you have is uh, you have a lot of people, you know, getting themselves really psyched out about this when it's settled. And I don't mean that as, oh, you know, Josh is telling people to, to, to suck it up. Uh, they've got to do what, what the White House says, what the establishment says. No, it's, it's already been decided. You, you understand the sort of how presidents get nominated in, in this country. Um, the history, it is not, this is not going to change. So the question is, are, are mainly Democrats going to get themselves worked up, psyched out, demoralized, going over this question over and over and over again. It's an issue. It's a challenge. There's no question. But at a certain point, you have to say, this is our candidate. We are going to, we're going to do everything we can to uh, win this. So we're going to talk about, and, and again, what I mean by, what I mean by this, 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 this sense of doldrums is this kind of anxious perseverating, right? Um, even though, even though the task is 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 out there in front of of everybody, so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about all of those things. And uh, but I mentioned before in Wisconsin, we usually when we talk about the crisis of democracy in this country, the issue is that. We had a, we have the former president was a pretty dyed in the wool authoritarian. He got impeached twice, not over like Joe Biden type stuff, but like real things when he like one time when he tried to overthrow the government and another time when he tried to get basically a foreign head of state to do the same thing, to sabotage one of our elections. And he might be president again, but there's this other thing happening. It's related to it, but it's still, it's still not the same thing. And that is that we have a breakdown of democratic accountability in a lot of states, a mix of extreme gerrymandering, all, all the different recipe of things uh, that we talk about. And Wisconsin for a while has kind of been ground zero here because this is the prototypical, uh, the emblematic swing state. It is always super close in every presidential election, has been for a while. Uh, what, you know, when there's a governor's race, when there's a Senate race, it's always basically a 50-50 race, right? Just very close. One side or the other wins it, except in the state legislature, where it might as well be like Alabama or South Carolina or Idaho, where Republicans have cannot not have supermajorities because of this gerrymander that they have. And we have uh, this uh, liberal Supreme Court justice who was elected a few months ago decisively, basically on a platform to do two things, to legalize abortion in the state and to get rid of that gerrymander. 
So now everything is on the line for the state's Republicans. Like they could, I mean, for them, they could kind of lose everything, right? They have guaranteed, they don't have just have guaranteed majorities, they have guaranteed super majorities. And so uh, now they are, you know, so, okay, they lost the election. So the, 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 the jig is up. Well, it's not up because they've been threatening, well, maybe, maybe we'll just impeach the new person who just got elected because she mentioned our gerrymander. So we're going to talk about that and some new developments that actually happened uh, yesterday. Um, so, Kate, first of all, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't pronounce the new justice's name because it's unpronounceable, but you can pronounce it. So I'm going to hand that off to you. But give us an update. What is the, give us the lay of the land, what is happening in Wisconsin and walk us through what happened yesterday, because that was, it wasn't just unexpected to me. I think it was a bit out of the blue for everyone. So we know that Wisconsin Republicans have been in a state of existential crisis since Janet Protasiewicz was elected in April. And this is because it shifted the power of the court to liberals for the first time in 15 years. And like you say, she made it very clear um, that she would be receptive to kind of redrawing the maps, which which nearly everyone who kind of does redistricting type math has um, pinned as like, the most extreme gerrymander in the whole country. It's slated 20 points to Republicans. Democrats can win by many tens of thousands of votes and Republicans still maintain a supermajority. Um, so for a while and right after she was elected, we started hearing impeachment talk like the day of. Um, and like you say, they've kind of settled as their rationale that she called these rigged maps rigged. Of course, Calling Republicans hypocritical is almost like not even fun anymore because it's like so predictable. But you've got two other justices on the court right now, one of which likened abortion to the Holocaust and the other who called Planned Parenthood a wicked organization more intent on killing babies than helping women. No calls for them to recuse themselves from abortion cases. Um, but I digress. So the impeachment thing at first seemed like it wasn't really going to go anywhere. The The head of the Senate was iffy on it. But in recent days, I think as it's gotten closer to the reality with these redistricting cases, um, you know, getting a hearing at the court, they've started to coalesce behind it. And there's some trickery they could kind of do um, where they could impeach her in the assembly and then delay the trial in the Senate indefinitely, which would both keep her from doing the job, but also would keep the governor from replacing her with somebody else. Um, so that's kind of been the big burgeoning thing. And then you had Wisconsin Democrats counter and say, we are going to blitz Wisconsin with a $4 million ad buy selectively aimed at the most kind of, if there are any quote unquote vulnerable Republicans in such a gerrymander, but to, to kind of try to pick them off because the margins are really, really tight. They only, Wisconsin has like just the number of uh, senators they would need exactly to convict her. So you can't afford to lose anyone. So this has been the big story. And then yesterday, all of a sudden, the Wisconsin legislators said, you know what? This whole redistricting kerfuffle, you know, what divisions has it made? What drama has it created? What if instead we do a nonpartisan redistricting process like Democrats have been clamoring for for years and that'll just put all this to bed, right? And that's us. That's we Republicans making a compromise. Okay, so the way that this new system would work is 
the quote unquote nonpartisan staffers of the legislators would be the ones who draw up the maps. Then the legislature would have to approve it and the governor would have to approve it for the maps to go into action. This is modeled off what Iowa has. Um, Now, the problem is, as we've seen before in Iowa, is the legislators have a tendency to just reject maps until they get one that is Republican enough to suit them. Um, And that's, that's what happened in Iowa. And there's also a little bonus catch written into this plan for the Republican legislators, which is if two of the maps don't pass legislature, don't pass muster with the legislature, right? They vote two of them down. On the third map, the legislators can, um, quote unquote, amend the bill the same way they do any other bills. So they could just make changes directly to the maps to kind of contort them more to their wishes. Now, a key part here is, as I mentioned, the governor has to approve it. And Wisconsin and Wisconsin Republicans fell just short of getting a veto-proof supermajority in both chambers last election. So, and the governor in Wisconsin, as we know, is a Democrat. So, you know, there's kind of that, which makes the whole thing much more interesting because even though this process is clearly slated towards the legislators, it's not like the sheer lock that they have on it now. The governor would have a little bit of power in this process. And he came out yesterday just railing against it, kind of saying, you can't trust Wisconsin legislators to do this anymore. Um, You know, like nonpartisan in their hands is not going to end up being nonpartisan. And he kind of listed all the ways in which Wisconsin, as you say, Josh, has been ground zero for the state house as you know, authoritarian factory of late, you know, they've gone after Protasiewicz. They're on the verge of ousting Megan Wolf, who's the state's top um, election official on kind of like trumped up charges. You know, they passed super strict voting ID laws, all those kind of usual voter suppression hijinks. And as we remember, back in 2018, they stripped the governor of a huge number of, you know, powers right after Evers was elected. So. He's basically saying you can't trust them. You know, you can't make a deal with them because there's going to be some kind of twist or some kind of fine print or some kind of, by the way, the legislature gets an override of all of this kind of thing. So that's where we're at now. But I'm curious to hear your thoughts. But I think it's kind of fascinating that as their impeachment boulder is, you know, picking up steam, all of a sudden, it was something, whether it be the ad buy, whether it be, you know, maybe Wisconsin people are reacting more angrily to the impeachment thing than they expected. They kind of diverted and said, oh, never mind, never mind. We're just going to do this in a quote unquote nonpartisan way. Well, let me ask you this first. Do we know what happens if the what if there is just if the legislature and the governor are at a loggerheads? So they cannot agree. Do we know what it because what occurs to me often what happens in cases like that is you you just stay with the the, the current map because right. there's no so and and that you know that's kind of a little too obvious to me, but that that's what occurs to me because maybe maybe okay so so as I'm understanding what you described, uh, the nonpartisan staffers get two cracks at it. The legislature has the first ability to say, no, that one's I can't we can't deal with that on the third on the third try. uh, Basically, in essence, the legislature can just go back to writing their own map since obviously revising is infinite. Um, But if they can't agree, then 
you know, the jokes on the state Democrats because Republicans say, oh, my, I guess we can't agree. I guess we got to stick with the 2011 one. Um, so that's that that is my uh, uh, big question right there. And really kind of what else are they going to do? You know, you, you've got to have an election. You can't literally not have an election and you need a map. So it's almost inevitably uh, uh, that. But um, what occurs to me, I don't know, something as you described, uh, they've been they've you know they've been ramping up the energy to do this impeachment um, to the extent that they had uh, wavering Republicans. They seem to unwa- have you know unwaverized them and getting them on board. So coming out with this thing now tells me that something happened. Something it wasn't as good as it looked for them because. Um, you know, you know, uh, as much as this is a crappy offer, it's an offer. You know, the, the what's on the table is is the current system in which you in which you've got the um, uh, the current map, or you know, you come up with another rigged map. So it it seems to you you laid out what I think are the obvious questions. Like I, I doubt I doubt just a a lot of tv ads is going to is going to change their mind because look at the stuff i mean they have they have shown themselves pretty willing to kind of abuse their authority and they don't really care because why should they care they've got a super majority so so nothing you know so nothing matters um all i can guess is well t- a couple things one is that um all these things we're talking about gerrymanders and and super majorities and stuff you've got to be pretty deep into politics to even know what those things are or why they matter or all this kind of stuff but i think almost anybody can get someone wins office by a by a substantial margin i believe she won by 10 or 11 points and then a few months later they just fire her every i mean i think everybody gets that's that's screwed up Something is very wrong about that. And I wonder if they're kind of seeing that, um, you know, this is this is breaking through. The other thing is there is a uh, Supreme Court opinion, a standing Supreme Court opinion, I believe authored by um, uh, Scalia, which basically says a judge cannot be removed, an elected judge cannot be removed for opinions they expressed on the campaign trail. So pretty open and shut ruling out what they're trying to do. Because as as you said, Kate, they've, um, I mean, at some level, there's no reason. They're just saying, we can, we can, uh, we've got enough people in the legislature, we can just fire her. So we're going to do it. But they have settled on their reason. And it's a reason that the Supreme Court says you cannot do. Um, I have a hard time it's a little, uh, I have a hard time imagining they're going to toss a Scalia ruling, um, despite all the things we know about this court. Um, there's other, there, there's um, a, another thing that, again, I've seen suggested is that if they get rid of her and she resigns, then they're going to have another judicial election, probably in 2024. And they, they don't want so I, I don't know which of those things it was, but something happened because this is this is them 
seemingly holding all the cards and coming forward with a compromise. And on its face, I mean, I take Evers' point. These guys are so untrustworthy. Like you, you, you cannot trust them to do anything. But on its face, this is the kind of this is the kind of you know the kind of basic approach, at least in its outline, not with some of the details. But the good government types like you get some you know you get some eggheads to kind of come up with a map, and you know the the legislature has to vote up or down to give it some you know democratic legitimacy. Um, so yeah, something must have happened. So I. I'm much less sure that they are going to uh, impeach her, impeach her after all. Now, have we, have we seen anything this morning? Uh, you know, because this news came out last night. Have we seen anything this morning that kind of adds any informed speculation or information about why they did this? No, I mean, it really seems to have kind of come out of the blue and taken everybody by surprise. Um, it's interesting when you're talking about the kind of mechanism of what if things keep failing, because in the Iowa version, which is like very similar to this one, mm-hmm. um, if the maps fail, you know, X number of times, the map drawing is outsourced to the Iowa Supreme Court, which yeah. is funny because in Iowa, uh, that fits the legislators' priorities, right? It makes sense that they would perhaps tweak that that detail in their right. um, adoption of this plan. And I, you know, I, I've gone kind of combed through the plan. It's not really obvious to me what happens in the case of a stalemate, which maybe that's that amendment gets tacked on later, right? Then just like the speaker of the assembly gets to draw the map himself, right. you know? Do, do they have an actual piece of legislation or was this like proposed as kind of like a statement or a press release? Because it seems like it, it, I, I, I infer that some of the lack of details is that there are no details, that they just sort of proposed a general idea um, because it takes a while to write a piece of legislation if you're not literally copying, pasting it from the people over in Iowa. Yeah, it is. A, it's a bill that was introduced in the assembly yesterday. Oh, okay. Um, so it is. So there is a... Is and the tax, governor right? would have to sign off on this plan, right, to, to kind of enshrine it. So it's interesting. It's like you say, it's like this plan while I think, like you say, we're, who would trust kind of Wisconsin Republicans at this point, it does require the governor's buy-in for now, for now. Like, right, I, you, know, right. I mean, you know, maybe we'll have a special session where they're like, by the way, now the governor's walled off from this since he signed the, the plan into action. Um, but it's interesting because the guy who's spearheading all of this is the same guy who's been spearheading all of this in Wisconsin for a long time, which is Robin Voss, who our listeners might remember as um, one of his kind of shining moments was when he showed up at the (laughs) polling place, like covered in like a hazmat suit and was like, I don't understand why people are being babies about COVID, you know, like at a time where we were all fighting each other in the streets for like masks and toilet paper. Um, But he is the, you know, kind of partisan of all partisans, right? The guy who any Republican who kind of questions him is like out on their ass sooner rather than later. Um, I I read this detail in one um, kind of write up about the broad landscape in Wisconsin that said he once denied a quadrupedic Democratic congressman's request to call in to a committee meeting, wouldn't (laughs) let him do it. So this is just like he, you know, he was involved in the stop the steal stuff to a degree. Like at the end, he kind of, uh, kind of went separated low energy himself, at the very end. Yeah. Right. From the partisan yeah. investigator, but it took a long time to get to that point. And by the time we were there, it, 
it was clear that this was going to be unsuccessful, right? So he's kind of leading the charge. At the beginning of this, the the Senate leader was a little squishy about the impeachment thing. He seems to be kind of coming home as well. Um, but, you know, maybe it's, I don't know. It's interesting because we also are in a time where we had a very immediate kind of reminder of the backlash that can come when you do your authoritarianing too much in public and do it in ways that are too easy for people to understand. Mm -hmm. Like that was kind of the whole story in Ohio where they don't want this abortion amendment to pass. So they held another election to try to change the rules and were pretty handily swatted down. And I think in Wisconsin... That's always got to be part of the calculus, right? Because obviously they've got they've got the gerrymander, but for statewide elections, nowhere is it more of a coin flip than Wisconsin. So yeah. if you're going to do something like this and kind of really like Ohio people up, really juice angry Democrats who, after electing Protasewicz by 11 points, probably came away from that thinking justifiably that they are now going to have a say in their state for the first time in a really long time. And now that's getting kind of snatched away. And they Republicans can barely even kind of keep up the pretense of why they're doing this because it's so ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that and, and just for our listeners context, as, as, as you might uh, infer an eleven point margin is a huge landslide in in Wisconsin. I mean, these are all all of the races, all of the governor's races, uh, all of the Senate races are, are 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 very very tight. I think it. I think it. Well, let me ask you this: When did, to the extent that that the head of the state Senate has sort of gotten on board? How recent is that? Very, did, like the like, last few days, kind of thing. Yeah, I wonder. I mean, I I guess. You know, one less encouraging sign is that they did this to lay the groundwork for impeaching her, that they can say, well, you know, we tried to be reasonable. We offered you this very, you know, we kind of reached out our hand across the partisan divide. That, that doesn't really make sense. Me. Yeah, it, yeah. Doesn't, it doesn't fit. It doesn't. That's not the it's not in character for um, it's not in character for the people in question. And it also doesn't really make sense. If you've got the power and you're going to use it, you use it. You don't like lay the groundwork and, you know, we were trying to be so reasonable and so on and so forth. Because the two things aren't logically connected. Like on paper, at least, they're not saying uh, we tried to we tried to offer you something. They're, they're making this technical argument about, A, she said something on the campaign trail. B, she's not recusing herself from the cases. Ergo, she is violating judicial propriety, ergo, you know, blah, 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 blah. Something happened here. And I don't, I, I, I really can't figure uh, what it is. I mean, one, I don't know, you know, I, I was going to say sometimes the, you, you've got the legislative Republican Party, A. Okay. Um, they sort of uh, have all the chits. They have all the keys. They, you know, they can do whatever they want. But in any state, the Republican Party has a lot of stakeholders, right? And and they may not be as on board with this. But even that, you know, who are we kidding? <laughs> these 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 people. I mean, they were almost for a while. They were threatening they were going to impeach Evers mm -hmm. after he was elected the first time. Right. I mean, they just they just kind of run the state that way. Um, I don't know. I, don't I agree. Know. 
I mean, it it seems logical that the easiest answer is probably they lacked the votes in some way for some reason. Um, which again, as we say, you know, it's, it's so gerrymandered that it's almost like hard to see. But there, even in the most extreme gerrymanders, there are still some competitive seats. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and maybe they just don't have the numbers they need. But I don't know. I mean, this is something that I think the you know, the plus side of it now is that they've been so egregious out loud that everyone is paying attention. Um, Not that that's, you know, a a, a total safety net, but it does. It makes it harder for them to do what other people in other states have done more successfully when they're a little bit quieter and a little bit more sneaky and they kind of get stuff in under the wire when there's no national media paying attention and it's just kind of a beleaguered state press corps and they can do this in the cover of night and it's complicated and blah, blah, blah. This one is a little bit more like we are displeased that she was elected. So we're going to figure out a way to undo that whole thing. You know, it's just a little bit more like really smacks you in the face. Isn't there, um, when, walk us through, one other part of this is there's, as I understand it, just as at the federal level, House impeaches you, Senate convicts you. But as I understand it, under Wisconsin law, the second she's impeached, she cannot, she's basically kind of like put on hold. That's right. So she's not, she's not removed from office, but she can't do anything. Mm -hmm. And in essence, then you go, then you go back to a draw. So the problem is solved for now. I, I have heard, I've heard a lot of people speculating things. What if she just resigns? Then what doesn't, doesn't Evers, does, does Evers get to appoint a replacement then? Or is there, when, do we know when the next election for, like, how, how's all that play out? Yeah, there is a, there's a time cutoff that I'm forgetting exactly when it is, but that um, where it kind of, you know, he gets to get someone new right away and then you've got the schedule. Um, yeah, I think the resigning point is a good one. I mean, I, I'm i sure he would fill the vacancy because the kind of the thinking or the fear with what you're talking about is that they would impeach her and then kind of delay the Senate trial indefinitely. So it's right. just a split court, right? And liberals don't have the majority and Evers can't replace her. But yeah, I mean, who else would do it, right? I mean, he would probably replace her until they had another special election to fill the seat, I would assume. But then I wonder if we could even see like some Tennessee three situation where she ran again or something. Who knows? I mean, these are like totally uncharted waters. Well, I, and I, I would think the the logical thing would be. Well, I have no idea. I mean, they could just reappoint. He he, he could just reappoint her. Um, mm-hmm. it, it does, but it does. You know, you, you, the 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 Ohio point is, and and I and for um, you know, the issue of abortion is still out there, which mm-hmm. is obviously what Ohio was about. Um, I don't even know which, uh, you know, which of, which of the two issues was, was most behind, uh, her election. They, you know, they, 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 uh, sort of combined, but, um, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a pretty basic thing. And again, you just, if it's really the case that, the state legislative Republicans hold all the cards. You just would not have seen mm-hmm. what happened yesterday happen. And it's just a matter of figuring out which cards they don't have. Right. It really, and you know, just generally, it is an amazing case study in like what happens when you threaten a party's ill-gained single 
party rule for the first time. Like they are just throwing everything at the wall, right? To try to kind of secure their power. It's just, you know, it's it's kind of boring and obvious to say how anti-democratic it is, but it just is so anti-democratic. It almost is like unbelievable, just the brazenness with which they're willing to do this stuff. I mean, being permanently in office is a great gig. Yeah. There's no other way to put it. I mean, they they really cannot lose. I mean, individually, one or two of them may lose, but they basically can't lose their supermajority and they literally cannot lose their majority. And yeah, even though people are going to fight like crazy for that. You know, one thing before we move on to the next topic, one thing that you mentioned at the beginning of this, you said that, um, and, and when we say conservative and liberals on the Supreme Court, on the state Supreme Court, that's because it's not, they're not formally partisan elections. So people are not running as, as, as uh, Republicans and Democrats. But you said that it had been 15 years that, that they've had this uh, conservative majority on the state Supreme Court, and the conservatives on the court are super, super conservative. It occurs to me, I can almost guarantee you 15 years ago, no one was even paying attention to the state Supreme Court. Oh, because, yeah. Because that's the case, that has been the case in every state Supreme Court since forever. They just, you know, they just were not on um, the political radar. I mean, the, 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 the one exception to that that I remember, and in some ways it's, it's, it's one that, that proves the rule, um, I think it was back when I was, uh, uh, before I even went to college, uh, the state Supreme Court in California was kind of a holdover liberal Supreme Court, um, and they weren't, basically were not letting the state use the death penalty. Hmm. And that became, it was a very different period in the history of California, very different era in terms of uh, public attitudes about uh, about capital punishment. But that was, and I think there was, you know, pushes to impeach the, I, I believe the the chief justice's name was Rose Byrd. Um, 95% sure I'm remembering that right. This is a long, long time ago. Um, but in any case, that's the thing. 15 years ago, I'm sure no one paid much attention. You had, uh, you know, Wisconsin in that period or in the years before, the people who, you know, probably would have um, uh, led to that had kind of somewhat moderate Republican governor for a number of years, not the sort of the Scott Walker type thing. So this is kind of the first time it's been in this political era, you know, politicized to, 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 to this level. So there you go. It's such a, you know, it's such a result of the the Trump 2020 stuff and then the abortion stuff that plus a, this realization that took forever for Democrats to realize that, you know, post 2010, Republicans had captured like all of the state apparatus and that they had to start clawing their way back into that stuff. So all those three things kind of met at once. And, you know, like you say, put these races on the map for normal people, which is a lot easier to do when your case is elect her and there won't be an abortion ban in this state. You know, that's a much kind of simpler, straight to the point. And then you get kind of the added, you know, not drama, but urgency of in most of these states, they've been so gerrymandered to hell. It's your only backstop, you know, it's your only kind of safety net at this point is like a governor and the state Supreme Court. So those races are, you know, all the bigger. Yeah, and I think the the a key point that distinguishes this from an earlier era is all of these issues that 
uh, our dependencies on Supreme Court elections are ones in which you're basically just trying to allow the popular will to right. to 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 operate because this isn't a matter of they're trying to like stack the state supreme court with liberals so they can find some like Wisconsin white right to privacy and and an abortion right it it's basically so that i mean the state the state's population clearly wants access to legal abortions that's not even no one no one's pretending otherwise um but you have a gerrymandered you have a gerrymandered legislature, so there's no way to get there when you have one of these old laws on the books and stuff like that. Right. So all of these things really come down to the a lot of the things that happened uh, a decade plus ago have jammed up the democratic process in these states, and it's only in you know, and that's really why. Just to just to kind of bring it together for our listeners. That's why this case is such a big deal, because statewide elections have been the only pressure valve operating in these states where the majority will can actually have some effect. And in this case, it's it's the state legislature, the gerrymandered state legislatures basically saying, we're going to take that back too, because we can just impeach anybody. And now, and, and okay, so, so you want to kind of take it out on us at the ballot box? Yeah, sure, go ahead. Because, because we have this gerrymandered thing, so there's no, there's no way we can ever lose anything. So it, it's, it's kind of crossing this point of no return. Like, is there any, is there any um, you know, pressure valve that, that, that to, to, to kind of allow the popular will to to exercise itself and it and whether or not it's some of the republic a few of the republican state legislators getting cold feet whether they're kind of picking up you know signals from constituents that this is a step too far uh my my best guess is that it's one of one of those mm-hmm. by some by some you know some mechanism or another so now let's uh, switch gears a little bit and talk about the the House Republicans impeachment push or Kevin McCarthy's newest uh, kind of self-made debacle. And so for a while, the way McCarthy was trying to countenance the impeachment push from the, you know, the Freedom Caucus contingent, as he was saying, <laughs> he was trying to use it to his advantage by saying we can't shut down the government. This, as our listeners will remember, is related to the appropriations process, which is ongoing in the background. This is where all the House Republicans pass these big, you know, messaging bills with anti-abortion and anti-LGBTQ and all this kind of stuff that they know will never pass in a Democratic Senate, and that makes a shutdown more likely. So Kevin McCarthy's been saying, look, we can't do a shutdown because then how would we impeach Joe Biden? And that was his rhetorical trickery to try to like make the right flank be like, oh, you're right, we should probably pass some real spending bills at some point here. Okay, that didn't work because it's not true. Even in a government shutdown, you've got pieces of the government that still operate. These are the quote unquote essential workers. And um, McCarthy gets to pick, uh, you know, which kind of congressional entities get to keep operating so he could allow an impeachment proceeding to continue even while the rest of the government is shuttered, which is something that the right wing kind of um, realized because it's not that complicated. So now he's in a situation where he's facing 
a good portion of his party being okay with a shutdown and being totally unwilling to compromise with any kind of you know realistic spending levels that would fly in a split Congress. And then you've got an well, really overlapping that same piece that's desperate to impeach Joe Biden. Meanwhile, you've got all these quotes from House Republicans being like, well, what would we impeach him about? There isn't there's nothing here, which is the obvious truth that we all know. So now Kevin McCarthy, who kind of, you know, would push a problem off every day as long as he could with no kind of like long term thinking just to survive the day, right? That's his kind of political ideology is facing a reality where we might have a government shutdown and all of the usual kind of bad optics that come with that, right? People can't go to the parks and uh, our government's an embarrassment and blah, blah, blah. While you have this faux impeachment that, by the way, people know is not real. Like they've done polling There's a recent Wall Street Journal one that had a majority of people who didn't want Biden to be impeached because people understand that it's bullshit, you know, except for the people who, you know, think Biden is some kind of either like meat puppet for Kamala Harris slash brilliant criminal mastermind. Those people are gone. But for most people, it's just like I think they realize that if Republicans had found something real about Biden, they probably would be trumpeting it from the rooftops, right? We wouldn't have to have these weird little uh, smoky, well, Hunter Biden once had a phone call with someone who was connected, you know, like, come on. What is the one thing I'm sort of a little unclear on is that like, okay, so they have their inquiry now, which is kind of, as we learned in 2019, kind of meaningless in the sense of it doesn't seem to get you any, uh, it doesn't seem to get you any more deference um, in the courts. And at at the end of the day, it's just, it's just more in, you know, investigations, but obviously it's a big, it, it, it usually, I'm not sure it formally does this, but the logic of it, you have your inquiry, then you vote on impeachment, because that's what it is. You say, all right, we're considering impeachment. Now we're going to kind of put all our stuff, you know, put all our information out there, and then we're going to decide. So um, the Freedom Caucus types seem to think this guarantees them an impeachment vote, which it probably does. Um, You also have the shutdown stuff, but it also seems now that even after McCarthy has given them what they wanted, they're starting to sound like they're getting more serious about removing him from the speakership. So what 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 is what is that about? Is that can you can you explain the sort of the din- dynamics of that if not the logic of it? Well, I think they are mostly trying to flex, right? They're because he is as you say, he's coming around on everything they want, right? And he is going to find it awfully hard to back himself out of the impeachment stuff now that he keeps going on TV and saying that there are legitimate grounds for an impeachment. Um but this is a you know, the problem is this is a caucus that like doesn't really care about anything. Like they care about impeachment probably the most because they think it would give them, you know, a good platform to yell about stuff and then get to talk about Hunter Biden and they do like to do that. But this is a group of people that made their name in Congress by being obstinate, by being fans of breaking the government and trying Mm -hmm. to do that at every turn. So I think now it's this thing of, you know, trying to keep him like whipped, trying to say, if you (laughs) back out or don't do exactly what we're going to do, we're going to boot you from the speakership, which any kind of rational political observer would be like, 
okay, who's going to be the new speaker, right? If McCarthy can't get these people's votes, who can? Like Scalise, Jim Jordan? No, I mean, that's not going to work. And it wouldn't work in practice, which is why I think they keep, they love to bring it up, you know, every time they sense that he might be tiptoeing away from their stuff. But it's just, you know, altogether so embarrassing because it really is like you're seeing a party controlled by the people who have not only we're so far from like a policy agenda obviously they don't have that but they don't even have any like ideological consistency aside from the trumpian love of humiliating people and that desire to humiliate people applies to kevin mccarthy just as as much as it does joe and hunter biden do you have um do you have a sense of either among the Democrats on Capitol Hill or the people in the White House, are they looking at this and saying like, dude, go for it? Not not the impeachment stuff. Obviously, that has a, I mean, I actually think that Democrats should be saying, oh, you know, onward, do, you know, go for it. Awesome. Um, but mainly talking about the shutdown, do, do we think that the Democrats either on Capitol Hill um, or at the White House are thinking like, Okay, you this is this is going to hurt you guys. So whatever, do do whatever you want. Yeah, I mean, every time I've kind of taken the temperature up there about this, you do get a sense of Democrats just being like House Democrats made their bed. You know, if they want to lie in it, that's fine. We adults over in the Senate are going to keep yeah, having Susan Collins and Patty Murray write our appropriations bill together. And they have already, you know, um, Schumer's already kind of kickstarted the process for them to pass the bills and everything. But I mean, even Senate Republicans to a kind of a shocking degree are just washing their hands being like, this is a House Republican thing, because there's no looking ahead. There's no like game plan. These guys are just doing it because it gets them a lot of attention. And that, you know, they like and they like that. They like being like a, a key legislator in terms of, you know, that they could shut down the government. But yeah, no, it totally is that sense of it reminds me a little bit of like the Tuberville military blockade thing, mm -hmm. which is like, you know, the White House loves talking about it. Democrats love talking about it because it's just it's clear cut, right? It's like he's blocking military promotions to promote his anti-abortion agenda. That's something that's going to be like a loser with both sides of the political spectrum. And here they definitely they feel the same. It's like this is they're going to clearly shut down the government for no actual reason beyond maybe some like broad gesturing at we need to reduce government spending, which is, you know, there's not like a there's not really anymore a reduced government spending like constituency. So everyone else is just going to see that they shut it down because this is what Marjorie Taylor Greene and, and Lauren Boebert and Matt Gates, this is what they do. So they're going to shut it down. And then you have the added bonus of maybe impeaching Biden on no grounds during it, which is obviously no White House wants a, a president to be impeached. It's like a huge amount of resources. And you're always concerned that people who don't pay attention are just going to see the headlines. But I think overall, this, like the Wisconsin thing, Democrats are seeing as this isn't very complicated. It's going to be easy for people to understand. And to some degree, if Republicans want to shoot themselves in the foot and there's really nothing they can do to prevent it, like, okay, let them. Yeah, I think, I mean, in some ways, this is seems like, and I think is ancient history. Uh, so much has changed since uh, 1995 and 1996. But when we first got into the government shutdown business, it ended up being a, a kind of a crux pivot point for the politics of the 1990s, which is that um, 
you, you know, uh, uh, President Clinton was very unpopular. Uh, he, you know, had this had this very aggressive Republican majorities come in in Congress. They overplayed their hand. They started shutting down the government, and Clinton kind of hung back and was, you know, presented himself as the kind of the voice of reason. And that was really the the shift that won him re-election, you know, got him so popular, he was able to carry on with Monica Lewinsky and, and even survive an impeachment. Um, but in any case, uh, I wa- it's ancient history. We've been through so much. You know, I, th- I think um, the spectacle of a government shutdown, it was pretty shocking in, in 1995 and early 1996. It's, I, again, with all we've been through, it's just not that shocking anymore. But, but, does seem like uh, House Republicans, the Freedom Caucus, which really being a House Republican means agreeing to take the lead of the Freedom Caucus. What they seem to be moving towards is a scenario in which we will have a government shutdown. So all the sort of, you know, for most people, it's inconveniences. Obviously, for federal workers, it's substantially more than an inconvenience. But you have that happening. But while the government is shut down, they will be impeaching the president. And I think that is the kind of spectacle that will not age well for them. I don't, you know, I I just don't know if that's, if, you know, how much punch that has anymore. You know, everybody's so, everybody's so locked into their, into the sort of the partisan sorting and everything. Um, But I think these things can still have a, you know, can still have a significant impact. I agree. And now we just we do have enough data points to see that shutdowns usually do get blamed on the people who it's their fault. And that's fallen on House Republicans before. And now we've also seen in at least Trump impeachment number one, not as true with the second impeachment, but that's because obviously January 6th. But with the first one, um, Trump's approval had been kind of falling into the 80s with Republicans, shot up into the 90s during that. Independents liked him more. His approvals went up during that. And that was a legitimate impeachment. You know, there were obviously grounds to impeach him. Um, So I think if you have to take a gamble slash if you don't, there's not much you can do to prevent it. You know, history, recent history kind of shows that it it's unlikely to be Democrats who kind of come out of this looking bad and more likely that House Republicans are handing them ad copy as they try to kind of recreate the winning 2022 arguments of this is an unserious, extremist, dangerous party. Yeah, no, I think I think I think that is almost unquestionably true. And with impeachment, and we've talked about this before. I actually think, I mean, a you can't do anything about it because they have the power to do, you know, in just impeaching as opposed to removing from office. They can just do it. It is what it is. I think it is really important for people to absorb and embrace that we are now in a new era where presidents will just be impeached right and left. And that sucks. That's that's it shouldn't be that way. But what you can't do is it is really important not to be in a political context in which your collective emotions are held hostage by a rogue political opposition or rogue political, you know, you can't be in that situation like they shouldn't, you know, outrage. They shouldn't do this. This is this is 
this is wrong, this is this, that, you know, you just, you, you can't be in that position. So I think we are heading into an era where, you know, Republican presidents will routinely be impeached for breaking the law and uh, Democratic presidents will be routinely impeached because that's what Republicans do. And just get used to that because otherwise you're living in this kind of like sad sack, low energy uh, uh, universe where this is constantly being held over your head. Right. Oh, and the the last thing I want to say about this before we move on is we have an awful lot of House Republicans who are situated in Biden districts. That was the story of this election. Democrats did great everywhere, like except for New York, where a bunch of Republicans won, you know, blue districts. So now McCarthy's putting these people in a position where they need to win some people who are Biden voters to get reelected. That's just the bare math of the situation. And now he's asking these people to vote to impeach Biden on kind of obviously fabricated uh, claims from his political enemies. I mean, it's funny because we're so used to like the legislative competency of a Nancy Pelosi who in crafting this stuff had her frontline members always you know, at the front of mind, because you have to, that's the only way you hold on to your majority. But now you've got Kevin McCarthy, who has just fully capitulated to the far right people who, you know, with the exception of Lauren Boebert are mostly sitting in like R plus 50 districts. And these, (laughs) these poor frontliners are now just thrown to the wolves. And, you know, one of these, Mike Lawler, who um, sits in the seat that Nita Lowey used to sit in, put out a statement today. Oh my God, it cracked me up because he said in one paragraph, um, you know, they have unearthed credible evidence of Biden family wrongdoing. Okay, next graph, but this does not reach the critical level of an impeachment, which is like, okay, good plan. Make everybody mad at once. You know, that'll probably, that'll keep you safe. (laughs) Yeah, it's, you you know, I mean, those, and that doesn't even, you know, there's, what is it? There's I think 18 Republicans in Biden 2020 districts. There's, but there's also ones who, you know, maybe Biden lost by a few points. Right. Right. So, so uh, these things, these things are, these things are an issue. Right. Okay. So we're going to finish off um, with the Biden's age narrative, which I have to say, as much as we're going to talk about why. And why, you know, why it's silly and and blah, blah, blah. It has become pervasive to a degree that feels a little bit familiar to me um, in terms of kind of presidential cycles, uh, election cycles. It feels like it's something that um, the kind of very powerful media entities who are the same ones who kind of kept the butter email stuff front and center. This is the new thing. This is what they're focused on to balance mm-hmm. out Trump's criminal indictments, um, mm-hmm. etc. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and you've written about this in, the, in your ed blog, but there are just countless kind of think pieces about Biden's. It's not even that what you said is so right. It's not that Biden's too old to do the job. It's that Biden's too old and now we're talking about it a lot and that might lose him the election. So it's not really even connected to like the underlying thing. Um, and what people always use to bridge that logical gap is like he's obviously older than he was. Right. He's like a, a little more, you know, maybe he walks more stiffly or he tends to kind of get quiet when he speaks and blah, blah, blah. Thereby. He is threatening his reelection because people will notice that he's older. And it really never connects back to the actual concern with someone getting old in office, which is that they can't do the job. Um, 
But, you know, I think we've got McConnell freezing in public every other day and you've got the Feinstein stuff that kind of undergirds all this and brings it all up to the surface. Um, And to me, the central thing here is, as you say, anyone who's calling on like an open primary or dumping by like that's ridiculous. That's that would be handing the Republicans a win. I mean, there's no natural successor and you don't give up your incumbency advantage when you have a president who was by these same people's accounts, staggeringly successful in his first term with the hand he was dealt and showing no, you know, he's not the one freezing at press conferences, right? By all accounts, he's like kind of the same as he was two years ago. Um, So he's going to be the nominee. But you, you know, if these people kind of want to keep pumping the age stuff into the bloodstream, it's going to be in the bloodstream. We saw that with Hillary. We see that all the time. Of course, the fact that Trump is three years younger never seems to really have the same stigma attached. But to me, I think we are seeing more and more of Biden kind of addressing it head on. And he's doing that both in like the funny ways of being like, we all know I'm 207, blah, 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 during his speeches as like a laugh line. They're now having him do these like super punishing international trips, you know, where his itinerary is like he has he doesn't sleep for two days to kind of show his uh, virality and everything. Um, So you know, we're having a combination of those kind of things to to prove uh, that he is competent and can do the job. But the thing that is so infuriating about this to me is just like none of these think pieces that are keeping this issue at the top, like none of them are interested in data. It's always just kind of like dr- jumping from one thing to the next or kind of using this to explain Biden's low approval numbers, even though they've pretty much been low for his whole presidency and they were low during Trump's presidency. And as we've discussed, there might just be some evidence that in this current era, that's where a president sits now. Um, yeah. But what do you think about this? Well, look, these things do take on a life of their own. And I think it is real in that sense. And what I've tried to persuade people of in these posts is we could get into a whole conversation about, you know, uh, is he up to the job? I think he's demonstrably up to the job in the real sense because the job seems to be doing pretty well and he's doing it. So what's, you know, kind of what's the problem? Um, Obviously, presidential elections don't, aren't that so, you know, aren't aren't so simply addressed. it is largely a matter of people who don't follow politics that closely, but those are also the people who who determine presidential elections. And um, there is also that um, there's also the issue of circularity. I guarantee you, if uh, you know, if Joe Biden's at fifty percent because the economy's doing well, no one's going to give a crap about about his age, but. His age is a way to explain why he's unpopular, um, and maybe it is why he's. Un- I mean, who knows? We don't. We don't know this. I mean, what it comes down to, though, you know, you look at um, you you look at an example of that circularity is people are like, "What about his age? What about his age?" Well, look at his low approval ratings. Well, one of the reasons he has low approval ratings is that he has not consolidated support of members of his own party. Right. Is that is that a lot of Democrats like, well, you know, I don't know, Biden, he, he didn't, you know, he looks a little old. I don't know if I, if I you know, really approve him. N- nothing makes you look weak like having a public approval rating of 41 percent. If if Democrats consolidate around Biden, suddenly he's up towards 50 percent. 
And everybody's like, you know, all Democrats have a bit more like jump in their step and everything. Now, I'm not saying, well, you know, what if, you know, what if he was at 50%? I mean, obviously you can, you can, what if anything, but, but what it really comes down to is he is going to be the nominee. And to the extent that you are facing a, a kind of a crisis of confidence, um, a crisis of optimism about the outcome of the election. There's nothing more demoralizing than having half the party saying, well, what if we had someone else when you're not? You know, there's that there's that classic line in at the Pentagon. You go you go to war with the army you have. This is the army you have. And there's not another one. Like, yes, it, you know, in 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 theory, uh Joe Biden at 60, yeah, that's a lot better. Although frankly, frankly, and here's here's my digression. Obviously, I mean, he slowed down a lot over the last 20 years. That's obvious. There's, there's no question about that. All you have to do is bring up old videos. But it actually occurs to me, for whatever reason, the Biden of 20 years ago would not have been this good a president. He's a different person. Um, and I don't mean that in the sense that he has got a, like a stiff gait and stuff like that. Um, I don't think that guy would have been this good a president. Again, none of that matters. The issue is that Democrats are going to win or be defeated, defeat or be defeated by Donald Trump with Joe Biden. And so the question is how to help Joe Biden win and spending day after day debating like, is he old enough? Is he not? Is, you know, what about this person? What about that person? What about a younger version of Dark Brandon? That is, that is all just, that is all just enervating and, 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 um, beside the point. And at a certain point, you've got to like buck up and say, we got to win this race because this is the race you're going to have. And I would add Democrats, are anxious creatures down to the core. That's always been true. And I would add that to some degree, I'm like not as concerned about the age agita as other people are, partially because we are so far away from the election. The degree to which quote unquote normal people, the people who decide elections are not paying attention in any serious way, I think can't be overstated because you do have these polls where, as you say, they show that a lot of Democrats are not enthused about Biden right now. Okay, where have we seen this movie before? It was 2020. People weren't super hyped about him then either. And this election has the added downside of being a rematch. So a movie we've really already seen before. But what happened last time as we got more into the campaign cycle and it became a head-to-head comparison of Biden and Trump, People came home, right? People picked Biden, even if he didn't, you know, stir in them the inspiration of like an Obama, which I do think to some degree my generation has been spoiled by that. They had like this really exciting 2008 Obama campaign. And that was the first time, you know, people my age got to vote in the presidential election. And whenever you have someone who's not like a thrilling, cool celebrity anymore, it's just like, I'm not interested. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, it's it's also true. You had... it seems very strange, certainly now, to compare them. But people were pretty pumped about Clinton when he first Bill ran. Bill. Yeah, yeah. Well, not, not well. Obviously, a lot of people were very pumped about Hillary Clinton yeah. and, and profoundly disappointed that I knew. Yep. When, when 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 she lost. But no, Bill, in a very di- for very different reasons. 
um, that you would had, he was the first, I mean, now it seems kind of funny to say a young baby boomer. He was the first baby <laughs> boom president, but he was right. Mm-hmm. You got these guys who would, you know, Reagan, I think was, 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 um, I believe born in 1910. Oh my God, you know, really? Yes, yes, yes. Jeez. Well, he died in his 90s, like 20 years ago. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, you right. do the math. Yeah. Um, I, I'm pretty sure he was born in 1910, if not if not very close to 1910. Uh, George, w, uh, George H.W. Bush was, uh, you know, in World War II. So, it was it was kind of a, a you know, someone who had, who had experienced the 60s as a young man, as a kid. Uh, people were all, you know, Played the saxophone. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Went on our senior hall. Exactly, exactly. So, um, but yeah, you know, and I think what you see with what you see in contrast in some ways to Trump, that we know that people are maniacal about Trump. Not only are they, but not like, like, it's not even like someone else holding all of his opinions and worshiping him is never going to do. It has to be Trump, only Trump. And that's weird. Right. So I, I, I do think that there is um, it's not really enough to help Biden at the moment, but there is a sense or should be a sense of sort of like we 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 like the sort of the issues that Biden is running on. He's done a decent job actually running the government. He doesn't seem like a sociopath. And that's and that's solid. Like, you know, go Joe. Yeah. Plus, I mean, we do have this data set of like elections have gone really well for Democrats since Dobbs. And there's always a sense, you know, people are constantly being like, well, when's the Dobbs effect going to run out? Blah, blah, blah. It's one of, if not like the biggest factor in our politics right now is the abortion landscape. And also, as we mentioned before, pretty soon Trump's going to start going to court a whole bunch. So, you know, I just think it is very dependably Democrat to, you know, whatever, 16 months out from the election, resign yourself to defeat because the polls aren't terrific or Biden is is the age that he is and all the rest. But we're so far out. I think everyone's aware that this is a problem Biden's going to have to deal with. You know, they're going to address it. They're going to try out different stuff and see what works. They actually just, I don't know if you saw, but they launched this ad that's, um, super cinematic and centered on his uh, Ukraine trip. So, you know, the the train ride into Kiev under cover of night, like the mm-hmm. first president to go into an active war zone, not protected by soul, you know, the whole kind of um, thing. And I thought it was really good and a creative response to the thing that he's too old, you know. And, and look, I mean, it's sort of like address it. Like, what is there to address? Right. I mean, he's 80 years old. Like <laughs> you're gonna pull out. He's like, turns out he's seventy. No one knew it until now. Right. Um, so, like you know, it is what it is, and uh, you gotta accept that. And and this is this is what you have in front of you. I mean, I will. You know, it's 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 funny. I I do think, you know, his age certainly for political people, his age I believe has become the receptacle for the very real and very understandable discomfort and fear with the fact that you have a guy like President Trump who had a presidency like he had, then tried to overthrow the government when he lost the election, now is in 
has felony indictments across the country and he could win. Right. And I think you look at that for a lot of people and you say, what the fuck is going on here? Like, how can this be happening? And that's a very reasonable response. It's my response at some level. How could it not be anybody's response? And so you say, well, Joe's all old. If he wasn't old, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be here. I'd rather he not be old than old, but I mean, is that why we're, is that really why we're here, you know, here? I'm not, sh- I'm not so sure of that. You know, it's funny that there, there, there is this, there's this um, weird tendency that people have. Um, and as you said, you know, Democrats are, are, are anxious creatures by, by, you know, by, by genetics seemingly. Um, people saying, well, it must be his age, and and Biden is screwing up, and the establishment has 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 you know saddled us with this terrible candidate. Um, all, all these all all these kind of things. But really, I mean, tr- Trump won in twenty sixteen. He came really close in twenty twenty. Is it? I mean, it shouldn't be shocking to us. That it, that it that it's close. I mean, this is something that is that is just a reality in this country. And again, I keep having people come back and like, well, you you don't think the age issues are real? Of course, it's an issue. Face the reality that we face. You know, you saying it's an issue doesn't kind of get you off the hook. For we've all got to pull our you know kind of roll up our sleeves and try to get this done. And everybody's looking for an out from that, but there is no out from that. I really am hung up on this idea that like, I think if the age thing, like you say, was more legitimate into in and of itself and not a receptacle for all the kind of amorphous anxieties around this election, then Trump's age would also be a problem, especially because Trump is like famously unhealthy. He can't even really walk. He has to like take golf carts around. You know, we see Biden all the time, like riding his little bike and doing his morning workouts and all that kind of stuff. It's not really operating as a clear proxy for health. Um, And it's not like you've got, it's not Biden versus Ron DeSantis, which I think then the age would be probably a really big problem because these people are from, it's not just, you know, your, your mental competency and all the rest, but these, those people are from different generations, right? They just appear totally different. Trump is three years younger than Biden. And I realize that having an age that starts with an eight sounds a lot higher than an age that starts with a seven, but like, realistically, they are the same age. (laughs) So, you know, it's just, I agree with you. I think this is a yowl from people who can't believe that they have to be scared of Trump again, um, which is understandable because it is a scary prospect, especially, you know, a second term Trump. So honestly, who thinks he wouldn't try to run again after that? But, you know, I all those anxieties are understandable, but it is frustrating when they articulate themselves in this self-defeating kind of why even bother, you know, we were dealt this crappy hand way when it's like, you've got the winning record. Trump does not, you know, like buck up a little bit. Come on. Yeah. It's, 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 it's always everybody's responsibility not to self-womp. And there's a lot of self-womping going on right (laughs) now. Uh, Okay. So uh, we are uh, at the end of this episode. Uh, Let me remind you, uh, if, if you're not a subscriber to TPM, 
go ahead and subscribe. It it supports the work we do here at the podcast, kind of everything the whole company does, the website, all of our newsletters, the podcast. So if you're not a subscriber, uh, consider con- consider signing up. Just a just a few bucks a month and it it uh, means the world to us. If you don't know how to do it, you can just anytime go to talkingpointsmemo.com and believe me, you'll see all sorts of ads and stuff uh, beseeching you to to sign up. So it's easy enough to do. And I think that is all we have for this week. All right. See you later. Later. The Josh Marshall Podcast is hosted by me, TPM reporter Kate Riga, and TPM founder, editor-in-chief Josh Marshall. The show is produced by Jackie Wilhelm. Thanks to Why Not Jansfeld for our podcast theme song, and thanks to all our TPM members who make this possible. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and subscribe wherever you listen. 